Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In this sermon series, Here I Am, we explore all the places where we find this phrase, Here I Am, from God in the scriptures. We look at Old Testament and New Testament versions of this to describe when God is present in our lives. I hope you enjoy. Bet you all never thought you could get back to Genesis quick enough, huh? And yet, here we are, right back. All right, so we continue on with what we were talking about. Then they came to the place that God had shown him. Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you, and I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies, and by your offspring shall all the nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. So during the season of Lent, we are going to be talking about a different sermon series. And just so you all know, just in case any of you aren't aware, during the season of Lent, uh, it's a time where Christians anticipate Jesus' death and resurrection. We are going to be doing something that's a little different from what we've been doing with Mark. We're going to take a break from that Mark series. And I know it feels like we haven't really done that much with Mark. Like we just got back into Mark and now we're stopping again. So we're having to uh, take a break from it because Lent is so early this year. So we're going to be doing a new sermon series. It's called Here I Am. And this sermon series, it's based on the idea that God calls out to people in the scriptures, and when they hear their name spoken, they say, here I am. This is a pattern that emerges in the scriptures. So we're going to talk about the various instances where this occurs, and then we're going to talk about how these events are relevant to our lives. This is all going to culminate when we get to our Good Friday sermon, when we talk about how Jesus said, here I am to God when he suffered and died on the cross. But for today, we're going to the first instance of here I am, and this is where God tells Abraham to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. Now last year, when we were doing our sermon series on Genesis, we talked about this story, but we did so from the perspective of how this story influences the Christian faith. Today, we are looking at it from a totally different vantage point, and in order to do that, I want to get into the story and what we just read today. 
So it starts off, and Abraham is called to by God, and Abraham says in response, Here I am. Very good. All right. You guys got it. Well, the sermon's over. We're done. And we can be finished with everything. So he says, Here I am. And then what happens is God calls back and says, Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, who you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a sacrifice on the mountains. I shall show you. So let's just make sure we're all clear. We're all on the same page with what's going on here. God tells Abraham that he wants Abraham to sacrifice, to kill, to murder his son. Now, I think that this request by God, it raises some really important questions about God's nature. Wouldn't you agree? Like, is that the kind of thing that God would really ask us to do? Like, do you really believe that God would ever ask you to kill your child? Think about that for a second, because how you answer that question, that says a lot about the God who you worship in here every Sunday. Now, if we read this story literally, meaning you believe that it happened exactly as it is written in the Bible, well, I think we'd all have to agree that's pretty brutal, right? What does it say about God that God would ask you to sacrifice your most beloved child? Because on the surface of it, the point of God asking this of Abraham is really that God wants to determine how loyal Abraham is to God, not even Abraham's child can be more important to him than God. Now, is God really that insecure? I mean, I'm asking that in all seriousness. Like, is God really that insecure? You can't just say that God is number one. You got to prove it by going out and actually murdering your son and showing God and the world that you mean it. The last time I spoke about this scripture... I told you that one of the reasons why this story is in the Bible is because the Israelites, they were surrounded by all these other cultures. And one of these cultures, they were called the Canaanites. And the Canaanites, they worshipped this goddess whose name was Baal. Well, Baal worship is very interesting because Baal is the goddess of fertility. So when it comes to women getting pregnant, she was the goddess for that, as well as being the goddess for agriculture, growth in the land. Now, what happens is, when there's a lot of droughts and famines, villagers can become quite desperate. And when they become desperate, it was not uncommon for these villagers to sacrifice their firstborn child to Baal in order to seek relief from the drought or the famine. So the story we read today about Abraham, what this is telling us is that God tells Abraham, go out, sacrifice your son. But then right before he does it, God stops Abraham. And what does Abraham say? He says, here I am, right when he calls out, right? He says, stop, and he says, here I am. So even though he asks him to do it, he stops before it happens. And this is to send a message. It's so that we can compare the goddess Baal with the god of the Israelites. And the message is quite clear, right? The Israelites, under no circumstances will sacrifice their children to God. Now that's a positive spin on a pretty rough story. Wouldn't we all agree? Okay. But if we're going to go down the literal road, meaning we believe this story happened the way that it did, the truth is we still have to deal with the uncomfortable reality that God made this request of Abraham. 
Indeed, God only stops Abraham as he's bringing the knife down to kill his son. So what that tells us is that Abraham had already flipped the switch, that he had made the decision that he was going to go through with it. So even though God stops Abraham before the knife penetrates his son's flesh, I think we'd all have to agree that would be a pretty traumatic experience for Abraham, right? I mean, would you agree that that would be the case? I would think that would be pretty traumatic. Is that the kind of God we believe in? A God who would traumatize us just so that we could prove how loyal we are to him? I mean, that sounds a lot more like something the mafia would do rather than what God would actually want us to do, right? I mean, are we on the same page? Are you all alive, huh? Anything? Anything? That one got a decent laugh at the other services. You all, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. My goodness. Okay, I'm going to tell you straight out. I do not believe in a God like that. That's not the kind of God I believe in. I don't believe in a God who needs us to prove anything. So if we're not going to read this story literally, then how do we deal with it? Because there's a lot going on in here, right? Well, let's take a step back from it for a second. Let's look at it from the perspective of, you got this guy, Abraham, and he believes, I mean, in his own mind, he truly believes that this is something he needs to do. And he's in this quandary, right? He believes that he's supposed to sacrifice his son, but he loves his son and he doesn't want to do it. So maybe this story is really about a parable. It's a parable talking about when you're in a tough situation, how do you know when you're making the right decision? Now, I think that's something we can all relate to, isn't it? Yeah? I mean, we can relate to that concept. We've all been in those difficult situations where the right answer is not clear-cut. So what I want to talk about today is this idea of how we know when we've made the right decision, when we've done the thing that God would want us to do versus the thing that God would desire less. How do we know when we're walking down that path that God desires for us? How do we know when we've heard God's voice and we've said, here I am? Well, I think one of the ways that we can know this is actually by the consequences of our actions. So whenever you do something, when you make a decision to do something, that decision has consequences. It impacts the people around you. Would you agree with that? Okay. Now, rather than just talk to you about this idea, I'd actually like to tell you a story. Because I think this story is actually going to illustrate to you this concept much better than me simply explaining it. The story has to do with a man whose name is Hisham Shahab. Hisham Shahab. I'm sure you know how to spell that, right? All right. So Hisham Shahab, he was born in the country of Lebanon in 1960, and he grew up as a Muslim there. And at the time he was born, Lebanon was a predominantly Christian nation. Now, in between 1960 and 1975, the demographics in Lebanon, they changed significantly to the point where it was a 50-50 split between Muslims and Christians. Now, the reason why this happened is because Muslims are very much like Orthodox Jews. They tend to have lots and lots of children. Now, that in and of itself is not a bad thing. But the problem was is that the government was run predominantly by Christians, and those Christians were not so keen on extending rights to the Muslims who lived in Lebanon. And so tension was mounting between these two groups. Well, this tension, it spilled over on April 13th, 1973, when a bus 
carrying a group of Palestinian Muslims, was traveling through a Christian area of Lebanon. A Christian militia ambushed this bus, shot into it with rifles, and ended up killing 30 people. Now, a Muslim militia then retaliated, going out and trying to kill this Christian militia, which ignited a civil war, which would last for more than 20 or 15 years, excuse me, and it would take the lives of 150,000 people. Now, Hisham, he was a contributor to that death toll. At the time that the civil war broke out, he was 15 years old, and he believed that he needed to defend his faith. So he got a rifle, and what he would do is he would traverse to the top of high-rise buildings, and he would snipe at Christian militias, people who were traveling in these militias. Well, one day, Hisham and his older brother, they got a hold of a mortar and shells. Do you know what that is, a mortar and shells? So it's basically, it's a, it's a mortar rocket. It shoots these rockets, and it can cause a lot of destruction. Well, he got a hold of some of these, and so he and his brother, they go to the outskirts of the city of Beirut, to the Christian neighborhoods, and they start firing these shells off. Well, after a couple of shells, Hisham turns to his brother and he says, you know what, I don't think we should do this, because we don't know where these shells are landing. We don't know who it's hurting, and he was concerned about hurting innocent people, women and children, who were not associated with these Christian militias. So they pull out, and Hisham, he goes to visit the head of the Muslim Brotherhood in the city of Beirut. Now you might be familiar with the Muslim Brotherhood, because in the revolution in Egypt in 2009, they were the political party that got elected to power. Recently, they have been removed from power in Egypt because they were oppressing the population. So Hisham, he goes to the head of the Muslim Brotherhood, and he's expressing concern because when you fire these mortar rockets, they indiscriminately land wherever they land, and it hurts whoever they hurt. And he says, is this ethical? Is this right? And so Hisham, he looks to him, and the head of the Muslim Brotherhood, he says, well, Hisham, who is your example in life? And he says, well, of course, the Prophet Muhammad. And he said, well, the Prophet Muhammad during times of war where the faith was threatened, he would use catapults. And these catapults, they had massive rocks in them, and when they were slung, they would end up indiscriminately hurting people. And therefore, we have a precedence in the Quran. We know that this is what the Prophet Muhammad would do. And therefore, you can use these mortar rockets, and they can hurt people indiscriminately because that's what we need to do when we're defending the faith. And Hisham, well, he said, oh, that makes sense, okay. And the head of the Muslim Brotherhood, he looked at Hisham, he says, you know what, you're a smart guy, you're a smart kid. How would you like to study the Quran further and become part of our leadership? He's like, that'd be great, love to do that. So for six months, he goes into this intense study of the Quran, and then he is asked to preach the Friday sermon, which is a big deal in the Muslim community. So he's going to preach the Friday sermon at the mosque, it'd be like preaching here on Sunday morning. And particularly for somebody so young, he was really excited to be doing this. So the week comes, he's prepared, he's ready to go, but he never gets to go to preach that sermon. Because a few days before, he's driving with his brother in the city of Beirut, and they get into a car accident, and he ends up breaking both of his legs. He has multiple fractures all the way down. And so he gets sent to the American University Medical Center in Beirut. And there, for the first time, he's exposed to doctors and nurses and how they care for the people around him. And he's just kind of 
really struck by the fact that these people really love the persons who are in their care. And so he's there for about 70 days and he ends up leaving the hospital and he decides, you know what, I want to become a doctor. So he applies to the American University in Beirut and he gets in to study biology. This is a big deal for somebody like him who's coming from his background. But during the first semester of his freshman year, he received word that his brother had been killed by a Christian militia. Now, understandably, Hisham was very upset. He was enraged by this, and he wanted revenge. And so, Hisham, he went out, he purchased a gun, and he purchased a silencer, and he purchased ammunition. And his goal was to kill every single member of that Christian militia who had murdered his brother. So at night, what he would do is, he would go out and he would stalk his victims. He would watch them as they would leave church, as they would leave their homes, as they would go to stores, wherever they went, he would watch them because his goal was to ambush these people one night and kill them all in mass. So during the day, he's a student at the American University in Beirut. And at night, he's plotting this horrific massacre. Well, it just so happens that in his classes at the American University in Beirut, he was forced to take, as we all are with those general education courses, a religious studies class, a study on world religions. And what he came to find through these classes is that they said, we're going to hand you out all the various scriptures from around the world. And eventually they came to the Christian faith. And what the professor had copied out of the New Testament, which is very, very important, is he copied the Sermon on the Mount. Have you all ever heard of the Sermon on the Mount before? Okay. So the Sermon on the Mount, it is from the Gospel of Matthew. And these are arguably two of the most important chapters in the entire New Testament. If you've never actually read the Bible before, which I understand, I get. If you haven't, those are two really important chapters. Chapters 5 and 6 in Matthew, read those if you haven't. Because that contains Jesus' most fundamental teachings. It's there that he says things like, When someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And you have heard it said, to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. But I say to you, to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute them. So Hisham, for the first time, he starts reading this part of the New Testament. And he's really struck by what he's reading. In fact, he's so struck by it that initially he dismisses it completely because he says, you know what, this is not something that humans are actually able to do. This is impossible. But then, at night... While he's out stalking his victims, planning to kill them, he can't get these verses out of his head. He keeps thinking about them over and over again because he'd never been exposed to anything like that in his life before that time. And so he decides, you know what, I've got to read this New Testament thing for myself. So he gets the New Testament and he starts reading because he wants to know who really is this Jesus guy. And he eventually, through reading the New Testament, he decides that God is calling him to a different kind of life. Eventually, he abandons his plan to murder this Christian militia. And he starts attending church services. And what he does is he 
He sneaks in the back after the service has started. And he leaves before the service has ended. I know we don't have anybody like that here who <laughs> would want to remain anonymous so that we wouldn't know who they are, right? But that's what he did. He did this for seven years. And eventually he came to the decision that he was going to abandon his Islamic identity completely and he was going to become a Christian. Now, you have to understand, this is a big deal over there. Like here, you know, freedom of religion, it's a great thing. Everybody, you convert, you change, do whatever you want. Most people don't care. Over there, it's a big deal. Particularly because his last name is Shahab, and Shahab traces its family lineage all the way back to the prophet Muhammad. So if you're a Shahab, you're a Muslim. You're not a Christian. And so this idea that he would switch, it was very, very upsetting to his family and friends, to the point where he dealt with a great deal of persecution. So he decides eventually that he needs to leave. He has to leave his family, his friends behind, and he's able to immigrate to the United States. And when he gets here, he ends up going to seminary. And today, he is a Lutheran pastor in the city of Chicago, not too far away from where we are right now. Now, why have I told you this story about Hasham Shahab? Well, I think there are a lot of parallels between Hasham's story and Abraham's story. Follow me on this, because this is important. Both Hasham and Abraham believed that God justified their decision to hurt other people, and both of these men heard God calling to them, and it stopped them before they could carry through with the act. Both men said to God, here I am. Both men heard God's voice, both Abraham and Hisham, and they realized that what they believed God was calling them to do was very different from what God actually wanted them to do. And this is how I believe Hisham's story and Abraham's story relates to our life. I think we all believe on some level that we know how God wants us to act. I think we all believe that. But the truth is, if we really look at it, we find that what we believe God wants us to do is very different from what God actually wants us to do. These are usually two very different things. So, I told you at the beginning of this sermon that what we were talking about today, the point of this sermon, was to discuss how in difficult situations, how do you know when you've made the right decision? How do you know when you've done the thing that God would want you to do? And I told you that one way we can know is by the consequences of our actions. How do your actions impact the people around you? This is also known as the ripple effect. Have you ever heard of that term before, the ripple effect? So you make a decision, and that decision ripples out beyond you to other people. When you make a positive decision, then that positivity is going to ripple out and affect other people in a positive way. And vice versa, when you make a negative decision, it ripples out and affects people in a negative way. Well, here's the thing. And you've got to take, if you forget everything else I say, remember this. Remember, I always say that, and people come up to me and they'll say to me later, like weeks later, they'll be like, the one thing you totally remember, I don't remember that. But I remember something else that you said. <laughs> All the time. I probably shouldn't say that anymore. But remember this, if you can. <laughs> Which is that we are generally not very concerned with the ripples that our decisions make. 
When we make decisions, the vast majority of us, we're doing so so that we can serve our own self-interest. Even when we know that a decision we are going to make is going to negatively impact another person, we don't care about the consequences. We usually go through with it anyway, and we justify it in our own minds. And sometimes we justify it by saying that God wanted us to do it. So in Hisham's case, right, his brother is killed. He wants to avenge his brother's death by killing all of these Christians who are part of this militia. You guarantee, be guaranteed that he actually believed that God wanted him to do that. In Abraham's case, what's happening? He believes that he needs to sacrifice his son, to kill his son, to prove his worthiness to God. Clearly, Abraham believes that God wants him to do this, right? Both of these men, they were willing to take life in order to serve their own self-interest. But thankfully, God is always trying to force us to reflect before we act. God is always speaking to us, trying to help us to understand how our words and how our actions impact those around us. Indeed, I believe very, very much that God is always whispering in our ear, trying to help us to limit the negative ripples in our lives. So Hisham, in his story, he was listening very, very closely to God, was he not? And that ended up saving dozens of people's lives, truly dozens of people's lives, because he was listening so closely. And though you may not believe it to be true, you have the potential to save lives as well if you listen closely to what God is saying to you. Hear me out on this. Every day when you get up and you leave your house, there are people all around you who you pass by every single day who are suffering and struggling and truly in need of those positive ripples in their lives. There are people who you come across all the time who are on the brink of giving up on life because those negative ripples have totally overwhelmed their lives. But you, if you are willing to listen to what God is saying to you, you can change that. So when you leave your house every day, many of you have patterns. And by the way, those patterns, they tend to be patterns that other people have. You see them in the same places. Maybe you see them in the coffee shop in the morning on your way to work. Maybe you see them in the grocery store because you shop at the same time. Maybe you see them on the train when you're traveling in. Maybe you see these people when you're at school walking down the hallways. Maybe you see them on the street as you're passing each other. There are people all around you who you see all the time in these same places and you keep to yourself because you don't want to bother them. But God is asking you to reach out to them. God is asking you to say, here I am. I have found in my life that when I reach out to people like that, people who are on the periphery of my life, that I can have the greatest impact. I have done that with people, and years later they have come back to me and they have said, you know, at the time that you reached out to me, at the time that you spoke to me, I was going through a really hard time in my life. And the fact that you sat there and you were willing to be compassionate and just listen to me, that meant the world. It changed things for me. So you see, you have the potential to be that positive ripple in people's lives. But you have to be willing to be open to hearing what God is saying to you. You have to see those people for who they are and you have to say, here I am. 
Now, in two weeks, we're going to talk about this concept in much more detail. But next week is Barbara's last sermon. So I need you all to come out to that because that's going to be a very sad day, but at the same time, a very joyous occasion to celebrate everything that she has done for us. It's her last sermon. Come out to that. In two weeks' time, we're going to come back to this concept, and we're going to dig further into the ripple effect and how its influences can really change our lives for good and for evil. But in that two-week time, until we come back, I hope that you will be looking for people in your lives who you cross every day, who you could reach out to and say, here I am. Because you can be that positive ripple in their life that can change everything for them. So may you hear God's voice and may you respond by saying, here I am. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.